You are listening to Your Manchester Stories. The University of Manchester has marked LGBT History Month every year since 2010. With a variety of events, awareness-raising activities and calls to action, we mark the contributions and importance of this community, not only to our history, but also to our present and future activities. This year, looking at the month through the lens of mind, body and spirit, we can highlight the vast intersectionalities within our own LGBTQ community. We have invited a highly distinguished panel to talk about support for the LGBTQ community and the importance of allyship. And thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've been keeping safe and well. It's great to see so many alumni students, fellow staff members and friends join us for this unique event this evening. My name is Dr. Sean Purr, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm a senior lecturer in speech and language therapy. And I'm also a consultant SLT for the new Indigo Gender Service in Greater Manchester. The university has marked LGBT History Month every year since 2010 with a variety of events, awareness raising activities, and calls to action to mark the contribution and importance of this community, not only to our history, but to our present and future activities. This year, the theme of the month is mind, body, spirit. And to discuss this, we are joined by a distinguished panel of speakers. So I'm very excited to introduce um, Christine Burns, MBE, who is the editor of Trans Britain, a book about trans history. Hello, Christine. Thank you for joining us. Hello, uh, Sean. Christine has campaigned for a quarter of a century for the civil rights of transgender people and has been involved with the community for more than 40 years. She was a leading figure in the trans rights campaign, Press for Change, for 15 years, building trans community self-awareness and working on new employment legislation and the Gender Recognition Act. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I'd like to say uh, good evening to Gabe Clark. Uh, Gabe is a third year English literature and drama student currently writing his dissertation on queerness in science fiction film. He's an actor, writer and director and co-founder of the Switch Manchester Theatre Company. He recently co-wrote and directed their most recent production, We Won't Fall. Gabe is known for playing Ollie Morgan on Channel 4's Hollyoaks. Good evening, Gabe. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. And next we have uh, Natalie Craig. Natalie has over 25 years experience within the sports and leisure industry. She was involved in the organization of the first Pride Games in Manchester, working with organizations such as Pride Sports and the LGF. Natalie joined the University of Manchester in 2016 after a number of years working in Tameside and Oldham, developing school sports facilities and now leads the sports facility operations for the university based at the Armitage Sports Centre. A keen tennis player and fitness enthusiast, Natalie is involved in the LGBT tennis group Northern Aces and regularly travels across Europe playing in the GLTA, the Gay and Lesbian Tennis Alliance events. Um, good evening, Natalie. Good evening, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks it's wonderful to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. And Paul Mark Jones is our uh, final person completing our panel. So um, Paul is a partner in equality, diversity and inclusion here at the university and chair of the All Out Network. His work ensures meaningful and important equality objectives are met in line with the overall strategic values of the university. His main activities center around the coordination and direction of the staff network groups, their activities and strategies, online and face-to-face -face training delivery and coordination for the unit. He's the university lead on the Stonewall WEI application and has been instrumental in the university achieving a top 20 place and maintaining a top 50 position in, his, in this national index. Paul was highly commended in the 2020 Making a Difference Awards with his contribution to the National Conference on Intersectionalities held in Manchester. He has also led on a successful university-wide initiative to increase provision of universe, uh, universal toilets and welfare space on campuses. Good evening, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi there, Sean. Thank you. Um, so we will discuss the importance of LGBTQ plus support networks and allies and hear the experience of those on the panel. 
I've got a few questions to start off. So this first question is for you, Christine. How important do you feel support and or community groups in general are in sustaining LGBTQ plus people's mental health and well-being? I can't think of anything more important other, other than obviously, you know, people stop being beastly to us. Um, I think whenever research has been done, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus this on trans research because that's what I know best. Whenever research has been done on the outcomes for people transitioning, um, all the pointers indicate that the, the, the number one thing that is a predictor of a, a good outcome is the degree of support that the person has. Uh, I mean, that shouldn't be uh, hard to figure out really because it's, transitioning is an incredibly tough undertaking. If you doubt me, do try it tomorrow. Um, and you know, we should never have to do these things on our own. Um, and again, to personalize this, if I think back to the early 1970s when I was grappling with um, you know, coming out to myself as trans before even contemplating coming out to uh, my, uh, my peers as undergraduates or members of staff in my department, uh, I just could not see a future. I could not see a way of doing that because there were A, no role models and B, no indications of uh, how I might seek support other than perhaps from the Student Health Centre and they were only interested really in, in you know, my medical wealth, welfare. Um, so the, out, you know, the outcome for me uh, as a, having already done two years uh, research with an MSc and then working towards my PhD was that I made uh, a really uh, desperate pact with myself that if I found a job in the outside world and went away and effectively rebooted my life, then maybe I could actually put all that trans stuff behind me and just, yeah, and that would be a solution. Um, yeah, I was obviously kidding myself. Um, within three months, I was back in Manchester, but on the outside, looking into all my old friends as, uh, you know, I'd, I'd given up my entire predicted career path because it was expected that I would get my PhD, I would become a member of staff, God, you know, I might even be a professor in the computer science department now, for all I know. But yeah, I put, I, I trashed all of that to run away because I had nobody to turn to, to look for help. So that's why I, I feel quite strongly about this, that, you know, having uh, networks of support and for them to be visibly available when you need them uh, is perhaps particularly you know, this time during, during a pandemic, the most vital lifeline that you can offer to any student, and that's whether they're LGBT or not. Thank you, Christine. I think um, I'm kind of reminded of one of my students who said, um, you know, being able to see yourself in these roles, you know, having aspirations and role models is so really important. So it was really interesting to hear you mention that. Yeah, I mean, can I just come in again, actually, just yes, please, uh, at the please. time I was, you know, I was learning computer science and my professors had been working with, um, with what's his name from Bletchley Park. I can't remember his name. Can somebody help me? Alan Turing. Thank you, Alan Turing. <laughs> you see, all you know, this is what happens when you get old. Gabe goes to the top of the class with his first <laughs> utterance. Well done, Gabe. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, yeah. We didn't even talk about him other than as you know Turing's name on on papers so I had no clue that my uh, professors and senior staff had actually been exposed to anybody LGBT from which I might gather the impression about whether or not they might be supportive or not. Yeah I think that's why you know being out and having um, being role models and I know from your work Christine you know it's been so inspirational to see your story and your journey and your advocacy. So I'm sure that's a real great um, source of support for people um, uh, who are just starting their journey now. So thank you for talking about that so honestly. Um, my next question is for Natalie. Have things progressed over the years in terms of awareness of LGBTQ plus specific wellbeing support? 
And what further progress would you like to see in this regard? Um, I think it's progressed massively. I mean, in, in my experience, um, when, when I first came out, um, you know, there weren't that many specific groups out there. And, uh, you know, I, I did struggle a lot, um, you know, with coming out myself, similar to Christine, you know, coming out to myself and then, you know, um, you know, the, the wider um, network around me. And, you know, throughout the years, I think that, you know, if I look at um, sport and physical activity specifically, um, I've always been really, really lucky in that I have a, an amazing support network of family and friends um, around me. And at that point, didn't really feel the need that I had to um, access a, a specific group um, that, that would support me in my journey in life or in sport. Um, but then obviously, um, as, as things progressed and I, I went through university, um, you know, it was it was trying to find that that group of people that, you know, initially when I went to university, I wasn't out. And then as, as I went through um, my, my time um, at university, it, it was really, um, you know, a breath of fresh air that there were other um, people like me going through the same things as me. And I, and I, I found um, a safe space within, it was actually the, the, the women's football team at the time. And as I, I progressed through, um, you know, realized and recognized that there, there absolutely is a place for, for um, specific and non-specific, which is why I'm a huge advocate of, of inclusive sport. Um, and I think that in terms of awareness of inclusion in sport and physical activity, that has made massive strides, not, not only um, you know, through education in schools and colleges. And I've been fortunate to, to work um, in schools, colleges, and obviously universities now. And, and the, the um, awareness of specific groups um, to, to support LGBTQ people has been phenomenal in terms of the shift of awareness, the, the um, accessibility to resources and tools. Um, you've only got to look at, at the um, LGBT Foundation and their wellbeing hub um, and all of the, the tools and resources that, that they've got um, available for, for you know, access. And I think the development of, of groups and um, online support as well has been huge so that you know, there is something and somewhere for everybody to go uh, and gain support. Um, you know, I found my little niche with the Northern Aces through the tennis group. Um, and, and first of all, when I joined um, that group back in, I think it was 2003, when I was first involved in, in the Pride Games, I only stumbled across that group because I had to go to a meeting for work. And I attended this meeting for Pride Games to, to support the development and the organization of it. Um, and then went into a room and there were 20 other LGBT sports groups and now when you look at um, the, the Pride Sports um, Network and the Pride Sports website, there are now over 250 sports specific and um, physical activity specific groups out there. Um, so the profile has been raised massively uh, and it's, it's that awareness through you know, digital platforms, but also um, knowing that those groups are specifically out there to, to support and also it's a massive social network, not only to play sport and be physically active, that will, you know, in turn support mental health and, and well-being as well, which has been a huge, huge, um, you know, lifeline for me, as well as, you know, many other people that I've met through, through that group. Thank you for that, Natalie. I'm really interested to hear you talk about the link between mental and physical health. And I think that's mm -hmm. become really obvious during the pandemic. And I think for LGBTQ plus people, often we might not see ourselves being able to be out and do our sports, but then hearing you talk about the social links is, is really wonderful. Uh, I just wonder what you think about, um, because there's an awful lot of issues with mental health for LGBTQ plus people and sport is a fantastic way of overcoming that. So. I, I, I just think it's brilliant that you can uh, kind of be a living example of how supportive that is 
uh, for people. Do you think the link is, is a real thing? Because I know people have talked a lot about it. Absolutely. And, and I always go um, on the premise of healthy body, healthy mind. Um, and, you know, I, I would challenge anybody that doesn't do any exercise and doesn't uh, and then comes back and says that they don't feel better after it. Um, it I think Pride Sports actually did some um, through the Nottingham Trent University did some reach research during the, the, the first lockdown um, and they found that. Uh, people were really, really struggling with their mental health because they weren't going to their weekly session with their, you know, either their yoga group or um, their fitness group or their tennis group. Um, and even with the, the network that, that I'm involved in, you know, we are so missing each other um, as, as that social support, yeah. um, as well as missing the tennis and, and everything goes in, in hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and one of the biggest things that, that I've learned actually traveling across Europe playing tennis is meeting people from all over Europe that have different stories and they've all got their own stories to tell. But the one thing that they've said that tennis has brought them is their social um, well-being and has contributed to, um, you know, their mental health and well-being and, and that the tennis group and the L, uh, GLTA is a safe space for people not to not only play tennis as their passion, but also meet meet people as well that not ordinarily they wouldn't meet. Wonderful. I mean, your passion about it really comes across. Thank you. That's wonderful. Um, my next question is for Paul. Um, how and why, Paul, do you feel it is important for both LGBTQ plus people and their allies to learn about LGBTQ plus figures from history? And is there anyone who inspired you growing up as a, an LGBT person or who still inspires today? Yeah, so thanks for the question, Sean. Um, I think that it's vital that everyone understands what's happened in LGBT history and how that's helped us to get to where we are today. And that's regardless of you, whether you're part of the, um, the LGBT plus community or if you're an ally or if you're not. You know, it's really important that we understand what's happened and, and to appreciate that, you know, there's a lot, been a lot of brave people uh, in our past um, who've stood up for what they believed in um, and be what believed what in themselves. And even those that were, felt they were a little bit different or what was considered normal at the time, because if we didn't have those people, then we might not be where we are today. And I think we need to always think about it, step back and show some appreciation for, you know, what a privileged position we find ourselves in. We only need to look around the world to see how that's not been the same experience for, for some countries. So, uh, you know, it's really important that we, we, we understand that. And I often get the impression that, you know, some people take this history for granted and even take like real recent history for granted as well and don't understand how how hard it's been for people in the last like 25 30 years even to, to get to where we are today and that's not just those high profile people or people in the public eye it's everyday people as well that we need to to look to and understand their history so it's not just those people in the history books or in the media it's everybody's history uh, and, and learned experience and I know that in the past that we've had to have um, LGBT pioneers and we still need that, um, but we're a little bit past it. And I think that we no longer need that people being defined as a gay sportsman or a gay sportswoman or a gay actor. You know, they're a sports person, they're an actor and they happen to be gay. And that's more powerful to be able to be on that, that sort of equal and level footing as as people that don't have to have their sexual orientation qualified with, with their profession. And I think that really helps people to accept who they are, um, to, to be who they are, uh, bring them full, their full selves to whatever uh, job or role that they are in as well. And so you asked me about my own role models. Yes, sorry, um, it's a very long question, but um, yeah, yeah. No, um, about your own role, role models. Yeah. <laughs> inspired I think, do you know, I, I'm, I'm sad to say I didn't actually have any, um, which 
I think it's probably quite common for people that maybe uh, grew up when, you know, when I grew up, I was, uh, was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, and it was an era when being gay wasn't really spoken about. So it wasn't, you know, some, you didn't really see gay people in mainstream media. Those that you saw were camp, quite outlandish, and I didn't really identify with, with any of those people. So that was quite a struggle to, you know, find a role model. And if, if, if you did have a gay role model in that area, you probably wouldn't have said so because that would have immediately outed you. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot different uh, today. And I think that my role model came probably when I joined the university in 2007, which is, you know, very recent. And that was the first time I saw LGBT people at work and just working as anybody else would work and not having to, to say, oh, hi, I'm gay and I'm a lecturer. They just, they just carried on. Uh, and that, that was really helpful for me and inspiring for me and helped me sort of decide what I wanted to do at the university. So I'd say that that's my first role model. And those that inspire me today, I think any LGBT person that speaks out, that's themselves, that stands up for someone, that helps somebody or seeks help for themselves. I think that they're the, the most inspiring people because everyone has got their own story, got their own background, and no one else can assume how easy or hard it's been for that person to seek help or to help someone else or to, to stand up for, for themselves. So that's, that's who I'm inspired by today. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, Paul. that's really, really lovely to hear. Um, now, you mentioned about um, actors and we're lucky enough to have an actor in our midst on the panel. So um, thank you for waiting so patiently, Gabe, for your question. Um, so here we go. How and why um, is it important for LGBT plus people to have a wide variety of role models, both in real life and the media, that look like them and have experiences similar to their own? Um, for me, at least, I think representation is probably the most important thing. It's, it, I mean, it's everything. If you can turn on the TV or go to the cinema or go and watch a play or listen to music and you see yourself or you hear yourself and you know you're there in that story, it sort of validates your own existence in a way that very little other things can do but I also think it's really important not to be satisfied with what we get and what we're given because especially like when you hear people say oh there's an LGBT plus character in this show well what do you mean by that like that's an acronym that covers so many different types of people so many different identities it's not enough to say we have an LGBT plus character in this there's no such thing as that there's no such thing as someone who is all of the letters in the acronym and when that does happen, it's almost exclusively gay, white, cis men that you see on that, in that representation. And that's not ticking a box. And we're not a box to be ticked as well. And there's also nothing wrong with having more than one queer character in a story. Like we make up at least 10% of the population. So there should be at least one in every 10 characters in everything who are queer, who are LGBT plus. And also that like being part of that community, I think, it's such a unique experience, whichever part of the acronym you identify with, within that there are so many intersectionalities of gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, and people identify with what they see. So, so much of what we see now is in the media, like especially over lockdown, well, one thing everyone's done is watch Netflix, listen to music and watch more Netflix really. Like the more difference we see, the more people will be empowered to embrace that difference in real life. And the more people embrace that difference in real life, the more real life role models will start to have. And without that representation, your things are just gonna take so much longer to progress. People have to then make huge leaps to discover their identity when there's no reference point to identify with. Like if you're leaping and not knowing where you're gonna land, it can take so long. And we're still at a point now where there's so many firsts happening on TV and like, that's great, but it means there's so many people taking those leaps without having a place to land, without having someone they identify with. And I guess a good example of how it works is this month, just because it's the show I'm on, Hollyoaks have just debuted their first ever 
non-binary character in a British soap opera played by Kai Griffin. And since then, they've already had so many people reach out through social media, thanking them for just being seen. And it literally does change lives. Like there are going to be people who watch this storyline and will reach out and will come out and will speak out and will see someone on TV existing in a world that reflects their own in a way that reflects themselves. Absolutely, Gabe. I think that's a brilliant point. I also think that um, it kind of reminds me of us talking about um, we're all kind of different ages and um, my uh, experience was similar to Paul in that they weren't really uh, role models on the television and in cinema. And I think it's interesting to me when I see my student coming through, it's so important that this work never ends because each generation has to discover their own role, role models, don't they? Um, and I wondered how, uh, you know, your experience of the media um, has, you know, your experience of that has changed seeing the things that you're involved in now. Yeah, it's changed massively. Like I get messages every single day, really on like Instagram, through Twitter, of just people asking for advice on coming out, speaking to their parents. And particularly this month, because I've set myself the challenge to do like a post every day on Instagram about LGBT plus history month and highlight different people in the community and while I don't really sort of view myself as a role model it's become really apparent to me that by being open about my sexuality and by championing other people and acting in a British TV show you end up being someone that people who watch that show look to if they're taking those leaps to find their own identity but also I am a gay white cis man and growing up there are about two characters at least that I felt represented seeing and two characters is not a lot like and they were all written by Russell T Davis but yes. <laughs> while that's limited I had seen myself in stories which made my journey so much easier so it's only the responsible thing for me to then use my voice to make other people's journeys easier and just as storytellers like we tell stories that's what we do but we have the responsibility to tell responsible stories and to help other people make those journeys because like I know it definitely changed my life seeing myself represented and it made my journey a lot quicker, a lot easier. And that's what I hope I can be part of is like stories that help other people make those journeys. That's a brilliant aspiration, Gabe. Thank you for so much for sharing that with us. That's super. I'm going to turn back to you, Christine, because my next question is really about allies, because I know working with trans and non-binary people myself, it's often quite hard because although there's kind of one in 10 LGBTQ plus people that sometimes you might not come across somebody or you might not realize. So allies can play a massive role because they might be the first person that you talk to. So what role do you think allies have in supporting the well-being of LGBTQ plus people, Christine? I, I think allies uh, have many roles that they can undertake. I think you know if you're if you're thinking about coming out to maybe first your you know somebody you trust, then that person is you know needs to be an ally. Uh, as you come out to your family and you might you'll be scared that they will reject you. You know, you need your allies behind you, um, but also in getting through uh, the you know these these really difficult times that we're having at the moment. And again, I'm going to focus particularly on trans people because there's a particularly horrid backlash against trans people at the moment. And I watched that. I can, can I say, I, I wrote a post just recently saying, um, because of It's a Sin and all the Channel 4 kind of publicity, mm -hmm. I was reminded of the awful things that used to be said about gay men when I was a teenager. And I was kind of thinking, oh gosh, I'm definitely going to die of AIDS. We all deserve this. And, and then the press seemed to have kind of have the same shtick, but this time it's poor trans and non-binary people that are getting it on the receiving end. Do you think that's they are, familiar they, are, they are so damned lazy. They can't even come up with new things to hit. They're just taking the old script, scratching out homosexual or, but, uh, or shirtlifter or whatever you, they used to write, and they're putting in you know, all the, all the epithets yeah. that they've got for, for trans people, but it's exactly the same thing, whether it's, you know, it's, it's casting scare stories about having a trans person in a changing room. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, if anybody's, anybody's got anything to be worried about in a changing room, it's the trans person. It's one reason, it's a barrier that 
I've experienced all my life about taking part in sport or just splashing about in, in, in the pool. Um, but coming back to what I was saying about allies, I think, yeah. you know, partic particularly online, because online is where, in particularly during the pandemic, that's where life is at the moment. Uh, so if you're going to have an interaction with the rest of the human race, that's probably where you're going to have it. And that's where trans people, particularly young trans people who've just come out, have got lots of questions for themselves and things that they're unsure about. And, you know, we all ask ourselves questions all the time. So to have a barrage of people um, trying to, to harm you, um, you know, because words can be incredibly harmful, um, you know, is, has a real effect upon people. So I think, uh, and we know, I see this happening. I've got so many, um, you know, very, I, I suppose the word is, you know, famous and powerful people that I know uh, who are online uh, and in positions where they could have influence. Um, and I see a lot of them sitting on their hands, seeing that this is taking place because equally they see that some of their colleagues who have taken the brave step of stepping up and saying, hey, you know, if you want to pick a fight, pick it with me, you know, I'll, uh, and standing up and saying, you know, I'm going to do the emotional labor here. And actually, you know, so you go and sit down and uh, it's OK, I've got this. Uh, and some and the way that the, the bullies who are orchestrating this backlash work is to use the tools of online life to make the life of anybody who stands up for a trans person absolute hell. Uh, it takes an enormous amount of bravery. So when I'm asking people to, to do some of that work uh, as an ally, I'm doing it knowing that I'm asking a lot. So obviously you need to have your allies and your backup too. But also I think you can help by making sure that you're not asking daft questions of a trans or a lesbian or a gay kid's child, you know, because you know, we've got enough to do without being your Google as well. Um, we all, yeah, we're living in an age now where you can look up any part of human knowledge in seconds and every picture of a cat that's ever been taken. And so, so you know, why would you think that you can ask somebody who's got a lot on their plate to give you personal tuition for free? So I think uh, one thing <laughs> allies can do also is if they don't feel that they know enough to be able to help stand their, their own ground in defending somebody is to you know, do that little bit of background reading. Um, I've become a, a, more than I ever was an, as an academic. I am a, a true fan of, of books and putting the possibilities of what people can read underneath their noses because there's no shortage of them. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an author and I'm naturally going to plug my own book. I will later, don't worry. But I spend the rest of the time suggesting other books that people can read. I've recently made a list of over 150 books just by and about trans people that you could, you could read in all sorts of subject areas. So, you know, what's keeping you back? You know, it's, great it's, point, Christine. It, I think this crisis time is not a time to to you know to bleed the vapors and actually say you know I haven't got time to read about this stuff and therefore I can't help. You know the the biggest sign that I take from any stranger is that they've actually done the the really really basic stuff. I don't I'm not asking you, you know, to have PhD knowledge of, uh, of 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 trans life, but actually an O level in it would do really well. Wow, what's a thought? That's brilliant. Um, Natalie, I'm going to come back to you and ask you the same thing. What do you think allies can do um, with a, a bit of a sports spin, I suppose? I mean, I think it's following on from, from what Chris, Christina has just said. Um, it's about your, your own responsibility to educate yourself. Um, and once that happens, you know, then there's a there's a platform for for one to educate others. Um, and I guess, you know, it's in terms of ally, uh, allies, it's it, you know, it's not enough not to be homophobic. It, it's being visibly anti homophobic. Um, 
is what's going to affect change. Um, and I'm a huge, huge believer that actions speak louder than words. Um, and, you know, going back to what I said in, in my previous question around, you know, inclusivity, I think that there's a place for both. There's a place for um, the, the exclusive safe spaces, um, but also it's the inclusive um, groups and clubs and organisations with those um, allies within them, maybe friends, maybe family, maybe colleagues, um, that, that really will make a difference and it's around how you know that that positive action by allies to support um, you know campaigns or you know real um, messages um, and, and issues that, that will make the biggest difference and I think that it's the positive action um, and again you know actions speak louder than, than words as well so that's why I think allies um, can, can really do to support the cause. Thanks, Natalie. I love that. Positive actions speak loud of the words. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, Paul, um, similar, same question for you, please. What do you think allies can um, do to help people? Yeah, well, I think by picking up from what Christian and Natalie have said, it's really about being visible and being visible allies as well. So knowing uh, LGBT people knowing that they've got you as an ally, that they can trust you, um, that you can help them, um, but also just to, to look out for, for each other. So even within the LGBT community, we can be allies to each other. And I think sometimes that that's missed and that that needs to, you know, we need to think about that. So how can a gay man be an ally to a trans woman? You know, we've got to we've got to help each other work together. Um, and just you know, make sure look out for each other and ask how we how we're doing and uh, just those basic things really really helps and it's going to be no different for uh, people who aren't LGBT. So I think that there's a lot of crossover there. Uh, so I think that that's you know the the basic thing that we can do for each other. Thanks, Paul. And and Gabe, I mean you're currently studying, I believe, and that's. Um, Kind of you know that's hard enough as it is isn't it you know in the current circumstances you know it's, it's hard enough to study anyway but in the current circumstances it's extremely hard so um what do you think really helps in terms of allies when you know as a as a as a younger person what do you think is helpful i think christine was really right when she was talking about using your voice online and connecting with people online because right now that is basically all we've got, but also as young people, a lot of us are online a lot of the time anyway. I've been really lucky in that I've got a good group of people now who I can sort of go to if I need something, just message them on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. But also there's charities that are becoming so much more visible through social media. And if you're an ally using your voice to champion those, to like raise awareness of places that other young LGBT people who might be struggling can go to to talk because sometimes it's great to talk to someone who's an ally but sometimes you do need to talk to someone who's got that experience and got that understanding and sometimes you don't know that person directly so to be able to go through a charity or to be able to seek those people out online is invaluable because then you can start discussions and start discussions that have complete total understanding on both sides and yeah just as allies like listen and listen and listen and do the work read Again, like I was just sort of going to echo what Christine said, like there's no excuse not to. Everything's yeah. online. And even if you don't want to buy those books, there are PDFs that are available for free. There is so much information. There's so many accounts you can follow that just do activism, that just raise awareness. Like there's no excuse to be ignorant because it's impossible to be. The second you turn on your like social media apps, like it's there. You, you don't even have to do that much to seek it out especially this month, like we're in LGBT plus history month. There's no way you can sort of avoid it unless you're deliberately turning away. Absolutely. And if anyone uh, needs to where to start, they can follow Gabe on his uh, Twitter account. So I think it's a really great point that somebody is always there to listen if you're struggling. So thank you for reminding us of that, Gabe. That's a really, really crucial point. I'm going to turn now to the chat for some questions that are coming through on the chat. So um, if you're in the audience and you would like to ask a question, please tell me who you would like to start with and what question you would like me to ask the panel. Um, and the first comment is from, I hope I'm saying this right, um, Gerardo, who said, uh, 
Christine, could you tell us a little bit about the new identities that are emerging, um, things like fluid and non-binary, and what people should um, kind of know about those identities? Because I, I, I know from my work that uh, almost the majority of people, they might start off with, with, with one idea about gender, but then because these, are, these kind of role models are emerging, people are feeling more comfortable in different areas of that spectrum. And that's really fascinating that people feel comfortable and, and people, I don't think, really know a lot about those areas. So could you tell us a bit about your thoughts about that? Well, I'm going to try, but uh, I also know my limitations. Uh, and I'm actually going to lean on Gabe for some help as well, if you don't mind. Um, starting off, when I was growing up, uh, there are only a couple of terms available. And if you like, those were our possibility models. You could be uh, uh, somebody who cross-dressed, a, a, a transvestite, to use the medical term, or you were somebody who planned to go through the whole medical rigmarole of, of, of changing sex or gender from, from one side of a binary all the way to the other. And it was assumed that unless you actually told uh, the, a doctor that you absolutely wanted to go to the, from one extreme to the other, then they weren't going to be able to help you. So those are our only choices. We had um, you know, transvestite or transsexual. Um, and then we developed the language. Um, but I think what even we didn't see uh, right up until the beginning of the noughties was people beginning to say, okay, because of the possibilities you've showed us by being more visible as, as binary trans people, um, you know, there are these other possibilities as well. I don't feel like that, but I don't feel like a cisgender person who just is you know, content to say, I'm exactly how I was assumed to be when I popped out of the womb. Um, and I mean, I think people are unique. Uh, and so uh, what we're trying to do is map the whole of humanity onto a small taxonomy of terms and they're never going to fit. And so uh, the experience I had at first was that people were coming out with a, with, a, with a new descriptive term every day because they wanted to describe with a bit more nuance exactly who they were. But the, the, if you like, if we were sort of, if we were to try and find an umbrella for those people, I think non-binary is is has become the uh, it's the description of choice, uh, and it's and it is what it says on the tin. Whereas I'm a binary person, I think most of half of you are on the screen. Um, that suits us very well. It just happened that because I didn't stay on the same side of the binary as I started, I'm trans-binary, um, but. There's this world of possibility in between. Uh, some people, they are at a specific place on the scale between uh, the, the, uh, the stereotypes of ultra man and ultra woman. And other people find themselves stable in a particular position somewhere between the two. Sometimes it's closer to their birth gender and therefore they don't actually have to change very much, but the, ch the change they make is sufficient to be able to, this is all about expressing who we are inside to our fullest extent. And when you can let it all out, then you are in a much more stable position than when you're con constantly trying to have to uh, police what you say and to try and fit other people's expectations. That's incredibly stressful. That's like being an actor every single day of your life. And that's why it gets us into trouble trying to, trying to play that game. So there are people who are at fixed places along a very variable spectrum, but there are also, to come round to actually asking the question I was asked, there are people whose gender identity, their sense of themselves can actually, isn't a fixed position. It can actually move in, over the course of a day or over the course of a week or over the course of a lifetime. And I can say, you know, I've been grappling with being trans for uh, most of 68 years now. <laughs> and and I, I can look back and I can see that even during that time, I've changed 
to a degree. I'm constantly open to changing. So I'm, even I'm a little bit fluid, um, but I still staying on the side that I wanted to go to. So, so gender fluid, I think is a good way of expressing people who say this thing just isn't stable for me. There are aspects of both uh, and sometimes different parts of your personality are more dominant than others. And you end up, if you're trying to match yourself against a very limited menu of options for how to be a human being. And in the West, we've only really got the two. You find yourself moving around on that scale. It's much easier outside of Western societies because most of humanity around the world and throughout time has actually very sensibly recognized that there are people like us. And I think there's a little bit of us in everybody but yeah. most of you are actually living according to the rules. Because like I said before, if you doubt the power of those rules, try telling everybody tomorrow that you're transitioning and see what it's like, because it is no joke. So we're all, you know, so many people are living under the thumb of this thing called gender, which is part of, if I can get all political, it's part of the way a, a male dominated patri a patriarchy keeps us all in our place and maintains a hierarchy where men are on top and women are somewhere underneath and subservient. So, you know, that's why um, very authoritarian patriarchal politicians hate trans people with a passion because we're mixing it up and we are actually having the effrontery now to be visible enough to tell the whole world that there's this world of possibility and you can say, can I say sod off, sod off gender, <laughs> and everybody, you know, tomorrow. We'll, just, let you, we'll give you license to say sod off if you want mix, to. Mix it up, mix it up <laughs> a bit. Honestly, tomorrow, mix it up a little bit. Let's all be a little bit more gender fluid tomorrow um, because we will all find the best representation of ourselves in doing so. Wonderful, Lecture thank over. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I'm going to go to Gabe now because I, I, in the chat, people are kind of saying, what's it like to be uh, an LGBTQ plus student? Maybe someone who is non-binary. What's it like with your peers, with your lecturers? What, what is that experience? And is it getting better, worse? Um, I think for me anyway, it, it sort of speaks a little bit to what Paul was saying earlier about just being able to be a student or a lecturer or an actor without being a gay student a lot of the time I do just feel like a student like I'm trying to get my essays done I'm sort of stressing because I'm up until like three o'clock in the morning because I'm writing until the deadline and most of the time you are just a student but there are times when you're aware that you're an LGBT plus student and particularly like for me I've actively sought out courses that touch on LGBT plus identities and I'm writing my dissertation on queerness in science fiction film and a lot of that will inevitably come from the fact that I am a, a gay man and I want to learn more about myself and my history but also I think it's really great for me anyway I do English literature and drama that a few of the courses particularly in first year the compulsory courses touched on it anyway it was compulsory and I think that's one of the biggest changes that I've seen throughout my career as a student from sort of high school through to uni is the fact that courses are now sort of touching on it and it's a compulsory thing and we don't have to seek it out as much I still have had to seek it out and even within courses that have said we're going to look at like gay or queer authors it's like one gay male author for the whole of the course mm. and the rest of the course are just sort of straight people and also like Christine said that it's almost exclusively western authors as well and there are so many incredible like LGBT plus writers and activists and artists, particularly from the continent of Africa and the continent of South America, where colonialism and imperialism just wiped out those stories. And there's so many people rediscovering that now and making an active effort to promote that history. And I think it's important that we as allies seek it out and learn about it and promote it and try to undo what British Empire essentially did. That's yeah we could do a whole podcast on those <laughs> topics so thank you for reminding us those crucial things to think about. I'm going to go to Paul because Paul what's it like 
to be a student um, that's LGBTQ+, and I know you've been involved in lots of innovations to try and make people feel more comfortable in their skin around the university. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, it's from, from a point of view as a member of staff and working in equality and diversity and chairing the, the LGBT staff network group, people, it's really important when people tell us uh, what the barriers are, um, what's missing because we can't know everything and we want to make these improvements and we but we need to we need to recognize them and see um, you know how we can be better as a university how we can be more inclusive and how we can um, you know help people it helps with their well-being if if a trans person knows that there's a toilet that they can use in a building or they know where one is then that helps them to get through that part of the day if we're talking about well-being and sport um, somebody wants to join a particular team that they, they know they've got safe changing facilities, then that helps them uh, that way as well. But without people telling us that they need it, then, you know, we don't know. So that's why it's always really important that we, we understand these experiences, that we can see what we can do to help. We might not always get it right, but, you know, we, we try and we like to work with people so that we can make the experience better, not only for students, but for staff as well so if we've got happy students content students people that aren't facing these same barriers all the time then it will make the whole experience better for for staff as well and make the the place fully inclusive for everybody thank you paul that's really helpful natalie what's your take on this with you know when when people i mean paul mentioned about changing rooms and i know you know i, I remember being um, a student and being really underconfident um simply because i'd had you know really negative experiences in sport as a as a gay person so i imagine that um there are people who find it really difficult to engage in sports because of their past experiences maybe um, yes, uh, but you know there are there are lots that have had really really negative um, experiences. Um, but working within the industry and the changes that that have happened uh, across the years, you know we, we are definitely working towards um, a more inclusive um, environment. Specifically, when we're talking about um, you know changing facilities and being confident and being able to to access sport and knowing that the facilities are there for you to do that. Um, just to pick up on what, what Christine said earlier around you know being conf confident and comfortable going for a swim even. Um, and I think across the industry that has been recognised because now there is a huge shift towards village changing rather than gender specific changing. And I feel that that has had a huge impact um, on increasing participation. It does have its barriers. Um, and, you know, I'm not I'm not here to say that, um, you know, every experience has been a positive one within that, but there are definitely you know, strides to, to making change. Um, I think specifically the work that we're doing within the university um, sports department in relation to working with our athletic union clubs, we've made great strides in, in ensuring that, you know, um, our clubs are, ex, you know, equal and um, you know th there is opportunity for everybody to participate within our programs and our clubs and, and only this last week we've had rainbow day we've had rainbow laces day and all of the clubs have been really proactive on um, social media making sure that you know everybody is aware that, that our, our clubs are open and accessible you know i think there's a lot of work to be done um, but, you know, over the last five years, certainly that I've been a member of staff at the university, you know, there's been a huge shift in making sure that all of our programmes and activities are, are open and accessible to everybody. Um, and it can only get better. Yeah, super. That's really lovely. And a really nice positive note for us to uh, kind of think about how things are changing. Uh, within our own institutions and, and society in, in, in general, really. Um, now, there's lots of things we could discuss, but I'm aware that um, time is ticking away. So uh, rather than open another um, huge debate, I'm going to start to think about wrapping things up. Um, I just want to remind people um, that uh, you can make a difference 
If you are an alumni of the university, we welcome volunteers from all diverse backgrounds to help other students and other alumni. And you can find out more about volunteering through your e-newsletter and from your.manchester.ac.uk. If you're a member of the university staff or a student here, uh, there are social and support work, uh, support networks like the All Out Network and the LGBTQ plus student uh, society, where you can learn more about the work that we do and the role of allyship here at the university itself. Um, I'd like to give a, a special thanks to our colleague, uh, Emmy Clark from the Proud Trust, who helped us to form questions for the panel today. The Proud Trust is the home for LGBTQ plus youth in Manchester and a way to find social and support groups in your area and access training and education. Um, I'd like to say a huge thank you to our panellists. Christine, always so much to say and we always never have enough time. Thank you for your passionate answers this evening. You're welcome. It's been a great pleasure. And I've got to say that uh, if everyone's interested, of course, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm just at Christine Burns. And uh, I did say I was going to do this. Do try and get hold of my book, um, either in the library, all the Manchester libraries have it. And of course, the University Library does have it on reference as well. Uh, it's also available as, a, um, as a, an e-book uh, for a very economical price. And as you will find if you follow me on Twitter, and I'll share the link again shortly, uh, I will share um, the list that I've got of books besides my own that, uh, that people can read as well, because there's so much material. Uh, and I'm constantly asked to review new books, so I get to, to read a lot. And I'm, I, I still learn stuff. From and I've been, I've been bashing away at this stuff for over 40 years, and I can still learn new stuff. Marvellous message for us there, Christine. Thank you so much. Natalie, thank you so much for your insight. It's really wonderful to hear your passion tonight. Thanks for having me. Um, and can I just say as well, anybody that is an interested um, for any specific sports groups, um, Pride Sports have an amazing website with an A to Z club finder. So I know I've spoken quite a lot about tennis in particular, but um, there are 250 sport and physical activity groups out there across the UK. So wherever you're dialing in from tonight, there, I'm sure there's there's some something somewhere that, that suits yourselves. Those are in Manchester and, and enjoy tennis northern aces we're a fantastic tennis group and of course you know um i know that hugh morgan in in the chat has asked about um the glta and i couldn't recommend it uh, enough um there's there's lots of fantastic opportunities there for, in there to play tennis so that's great natalie thank you so much we won't test you on all 250 <laughs> but thank you so much for your real enthusiastic promotion of those organizations. Um, Gabe, thank you so much. It's been really wonderful to hear about your experiences. Thank you. It's been really lovely to chat to everyone and thanks to everyone for sort of coming and listening as well. Um, I'm going to, I guess, do a, do a Christine and take a, a chance to plug. If anyone is interested in the stuff I'm doing at the moment, the best place to sort of look at it is on Instagram. I'm Gabriel underscore Clark. And this week I'm looking at LGBT plus artists through history and the work they've done. Um, and I saw quite a few questions come up, but I just want to really quickly say as um, there's a huge debate at the moment in the industry about who should play what roles. And I think ultimately, if there's one opportunity we deserve, it's to tell our own stories. Um, couldn't agree more. Thank you, Gabe. That's really wonderful to hear that. Mark, thank you so much for your insights into the networks and all the good work that you do at the university. That was my pleasure. Uh, it's been really nice to be part of this panel. Uh, and I've seen some questions coming up. I don't have my own book to plug, but I saw something come up about what's a good book. Uh, and I remember reading this, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but you'll find a kid's book about aliens living on different planets. And some of the aliens don't like one planet, some don't like another. So they build their own planet where everybody is, is happy and everybody's accepted. And it's just a really... Uh, a joyful way to, to read about being um, different, being uh, LGBT, being trans, being non-binary. And I just think it summarised it really well. So 
Uh, thanks again for, for being um, for inviting me to this this panel. Thanks for all the questions, and to Sean, thank you for for moderating it so well and and keeping us all chatting and uh, and engaged with the topic. It's been great. Thank you so much. And uh, last to say. Um, sorry if, if you didn't get a chance to ask your question for the panel. I'm sure we, there's plenty of room for more discussions in the future. Um, thank you, everybody, for turning up this evening and spending a little bit of more screen time on something that I think was really worth listening to. Wonderful conversations. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe, and we hope to see you again very, very soon. Thank you for listening to Your Manchester Stories. Please rate, review, and subscribe, or follow this podcast wherever you listen. If you are a graduate of the University of Manchester, you can connect with us at your.manchester.ac.uk. This podcast is produced by Kate Bradbury and Hayley Jane Sims on behalf of the Division of Development and Alumni Relations at the University of Manchester. The music for this podcast was supplied by Blue Dot Sessions. <laughs>